0: you can, the bigger message that I see in these cities is a breakdown between civil government officials and the law enforcement community, whether it's New York or Portland or Seattle, there's a breakdown where mayors and councils do not support law enforcement. Mm. And when you work in lockstep together, it works and the community sees it. But what what does the Bible say? A divided house will never stand. Does the Bible say that or is that Abraham Lincoln? (laughs) Probably both. (laughs) I know. Good answer. But what's happened is this crazy division and now you have cops wondering, I'm not even going to be backed. Yeah. And then you have government saying, I don't want that and it creates that rift. So bottom line is we are a show about healing. We're a show about talking real talk and we're not here to build fans. Yeah, we're absolutely. here to speak truth. That's it. And everything's on the table. That's it. We're just coming off just. Of the George
1: Floyd thing. Right. And I remember the first time I asked you what your thoughts were on the George Floyd thing. And you felt like, here we go again. That just like puts a target yep. on our back. Right. Yep. And, and I feel like this does that Without all over again, right. Just weeks later. Um, when you first watched that video, was that the first thing that was going through your mind again, or or were you same thing, kind of like, what is this? Because it happened so fast, right? Yeah. You could be scrolling across your yeah. social media, and there's no warning. Just all of a sudden, a few seconds
0: later, bam, 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 right? So, first question is, it sounds sad, but I now ask in any kind of shooting, is there white and black involved? Mm. That's sad that we even have to ask that, right? Why do we not see black officers in controversial white shootings? So that's the first thing is what is the race? And literally when I see white on white shootings or black on black police shootings, I can take a breath. But when I see white cops in a black shooting, I'm like, oh gosh, please. And the second thing is shot in the back. That is the worst place to put your rounds and you better have a good reason to shoot somebody in the back. So those two things when I saw, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Wow.
1: And so, and and for those that are watching, just know that like Chris is for real a sheriff, (laughs) right? So this isn't just a man who is giving his opinion or, or his thoughts. And yet even still as a sheriff, it's, it's unfortunate that you have to ask. Wait, first, what yeah. was the race of everyone involved? Right, yeah. or the ethnicity of everyone yeah. involved? And and that's that's really unfortunate. And I would imagine that the reason why you feel that way is because as we're seeing those videos
0: continue to go viral, yeah. it's just furthering the divide. Furthering divide, and it changes the way I respond. Yeah, it, there's a different dynamic. It'd be no different if there was a shooting that was in a mosque versus a shooting that was in a school. Mm -hmm. I mean, it changes the way you respond, but you're right. In this case, as a white police sheriff executive, when that happens, the first thing I I think of is, what would I do in that situation? If I was that chief or that sheriff and, uh, you know, not everybody's going to make the right call, but I certainly, from an outsider's point of view, saw some things that I'd have done much different.
1: Yeah. What are some of those things?
0: Get out in front of it ASAP. Immediately, right? Im- immediate. Tell me this: Do you know of anything that disputes the fact that that police department took seventy-two hours to come out with the first public statement? Wow! No, I'm asking. Did you hear no, no. Did they come I, out if anytime anything, sooner than that?
1: I heard, like, I forget which officer it was, but the press was asking him, "Had he had, had he seen the video yet?" And he says right there to the press, "No, I haven't watched it yet." And I was like, "But he's like a lead oh, officer. He was either the chief or the sheriff or some." Did you see that? Like, he was saying he hadn't watched the video.
0: Let me just say, I can only speak for Chris. Okay, I'm the sheriff of Genesee County in Flint, Michigan, a large city, and you have to have. We always talk about you having your, you know, your community connections. But if that happens, like we've done on everything, the first thing people want to see is was their video, right? And the first thing I want to see is I want to see the video, whether it's a jail incident, an in car camera. I don't care. I want to see video. Like yeah. the, the video doesn't lie. Yeah. So when I saw that they took that long to come forward, that's the first thing. Is like if you don't create your own narrative of this is what we know. This is what we don't know. I'll come back to you in an hour. Yes, People are going to fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. And people get frustrated. You know, we always have a saying in our office, to be unclear is to be unkind. Like if I ask you a question yeah. and you come to me, and it's an important question, mm-hmm. and you come to me and say, Chris, I'm going to tell you in two days. I'd be like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? I don't want to wait two days. The second thing is you should have had somebody from that community right there next to you If I'm involved with somebody that uh, the victim or the incident involves a Muslim individual, I'm going to have a Muslim representative there. I'm going to have an LGBTQ. I'm going to have a white person. I'm going to have a cop. Somebody that can say, okay, I don't understand that perspective. Help me. What's the best way to message this? That's just smart leadership. Absolutely. Because I don't know what people's perception is. So in that case, those are the two things that stood out to me is why didn't they get on it the first hour? Yes. In fact, we just had a conversation with James Craig from Detroit Police Department, mm-hmm. and he had a controversial shooting just right after the George Floyd shooting. Yeah. And and everybody was saying on the street that, that those officers shot and killed that guy. But what happened was that guy shot into the police officers and they had video of it. But the story got out faster on social media than he could even get to the scene. Wow. But as soon as Chief Craig got to the scene, he's like, listen, everybody, let me tell you what's happening. I don't know all the answers. This is what I know, and I'll see you. And then he released the video. Never heard of it. Done. So the first thing is get out in front of it and have somebody from that community right there next to you and say, what am I missing? What do I need to do?
1: Yeah. Wow. That's Just like powerful. this.
0: Yes. This is this is you having somebody from my community to have in, this in, conversation yes, with. Exactly. And, and
1: that was what I said in my video too. When I when I first saw it, I said, I don't want to rush to judgment, but I have friends in law enforcement that I can't wait to have this discussion oh. with. And and some people really understood that. And some people still felt like, well, why are you even rushing to judgment by even making this video? I'm like, cause my heart is heavy. Yeah. Like I, I need to say something. I, I need to vent this. This is my outlet. This platform has become my outlet. And even still, people yeah. felt like I was passing judgment simply by saying, I've got to talk to some officer friends of mine yes. about this thing. And, and I hope that more people, sometimes when we see these things, mm-hmm. will wait. Like, let's just wait yeah. a little bit and, yeah. and see what other information comes out because yeah. when we don't wait, what happens is it leads to the riots that we yeah. saw just days later after it. A lot of the buildings were boarded up and we just started painting positive art on, on all of them. So all the boards that were there, just Martin Luther King uh There
0: was preemptive boards put up. So their houses and oh, stores. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Because like, they expected something to go down.
1: Down that entire strip, actually. So all the streets that were supposed to be part of the protest everything was boarded up and so I loved how people from the community said let's turn this tragedy into positive art and so the video that I released um, when when I arrived there was actually a video of all of the art that was on the board. Did
0: they recognize you when you showed up with your shirt? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. That's so awesome. yeah, the
1: community was like, I can't believe the free hugs guy is here. And the interactions that I got to have with people, one of my favorites, it was a pastor of a church who had just um, finished giving a sermon, and then he saw me and he flipped his car back around and he came over and he, and he talked with me and then he white said, White
0: pastor, Black pastor,
1: White pastor, maybe Latino, um, but I but I think he was white. And he yeah. was like, Can you address my congregation what? on live? And just
0: hands me his phone oh. live
1: and like. I'm preaching to his church mom. Yes. I loved it. So yeah, so that was that was really cool. But again, That's how a community heals, right? Yeah. And so so the experience that I saw when I arrived there was here is a community that is trying to heal, but outside agitators come in and affect that healing process. You're just taking off the band-aids when you have people who now, because of what happened, they're greeting their neighbors more. They're asking people if they need anything. Oh my gosh. I'm walking by the number of people that offered me water, cookies, chips, not just because I'm the free hugs guy, but because they had it out there. Yeah. Restaurants that were open that are like, we're just. Serving the community. There's yes. no charge today. Like they want to heal, they want to bring people together. But when you turn on the news or you go on the social media comment feeds, that's not what you're seeing about what uh, everything that's oh my going on, gosh. right? And so, so that part bothered me the most because the experience on the ground is not the experience of what you see back at home on social so, media. So let me
0: just say this: for those that are watching, Kenosha is like, like their Chicago. Mm-hmm. In Kenosha is right up the coastline on Lake Erie. Correct. And so from Chicago to Kenosha, what do you think? How long is the drive? An hour. Okay, an hour. Yep. So of the percentage of people that you saw that are passing out cookies and water versus what the media shows or what we perceive as just total buck wild chaos. Yes. What's the percentage of which? I saw
1: none of that when I when I arrived there. I and think you were there for was, how long? Uh, what the whole weekend. So like, come on, what, even at night. At night, no. There was I. I was driving around taking pictures of signs at night. But again, Dude. I got there the day after the the, the Kyle written. So was it shooting. over after you got there? I'm guessing the 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 bad part of it was over.
0: But, but was even now, princess. you would think by watching it now, it's still on. There's still garbage trucks on fire. But that was that's all old stuff. That's Come crazy. On. You've got.
1: You've got National Guard, police, everybody are probably clearing out of there. But yes, the media still kind of hypes it up. Like it's uh, this chaotic scene about to combust. So the agitators
0: that came in to create pain on a community that's trying to heal, when did that start and what do you think caused them to leave?
1: I think that started the night that the shooting hit social media. And I think what caused everyone to leave was, oh, snap, people really got shot tonight. And, and that part is what really woke me up to it as well. I saw, I saw the seven shots. I made that first video and then the, the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting. So here's, here's what really affects me on the, on the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting.
0: Now these are. Two separate instances two in my com- book, com- completely. And yeah. and
1: I think we'll backtrack to the Jacob Blake part. Got it. But I, I think there's there's some serious things that I think should be covered on on the Kyle Rittenhouse part because even on so here's here's what frustrated me on the video that I put out where I was taking um, video clips of all of the positive signs and messages. At the end of that video. I put this video is dedicated to um, to the skateboarder or the fearless skateboarder who attempted to stop the shooter and and lost his life. Right. Yeah. Boom. Comments start coming in on my YouTube video from people saying I used to like you Ken, But now I don't like you anymore or I'm going to unsubscribe or unfollow your channel because of the dedication that you gave at the end of that video. I'm like, wait, hold up. So because I am honoring a lost life. And, and my issue with that is we have become so desensitized as a nation that people are so quick to find the flaws of even the person who lost their life and they'll worship the shooter and just completely disregard and tarnish and trash the, the, the lost life. life. Right. And so because we've become so desensitized, I am. Scared of uh, to know that that's where we are as a nation. That I can't even leave a dedication for someone who is now gone, right? Because
0: that we know nothing about, we don't know anything don't about know background,
1: about nothing, right? And so, and, and sometimes the media will try and pull whatever they can find to, uh, um tarnish this person's reputation. Like I mean and I saw it in the comments. People were like how dare you put that dedication. That guy was a scumbag. Or that guy
0: They don't even know this guy. You don't
1: know anything about him, right? Or he shouldn't have tried to hit Kyle with the skateboard. And I was like, "Wait, hold up. What he heard was this man just shot someone, or this boy just shot someone, most of us in our instinct would try and stop that person from getting away. And when people are saying, yeah, you would have stopped him from trying to run to the uh, police to turn himself in, and I was like, but you don't know that in that moment. No. He just shot someone and he's running in, in this direction. Most, so even for me, um, in, in our last episode, when I talked about when I was in Charlottesville and James Fields ran over yeah, the right. 18 uh, or 19 people, mm-hmm. if I were armed that day, which I don't go to these protests armed, but if I was, I would imagine my first instinct would be eliminate the threat. 100%. Right? He's just run over 19 Detroit. people. So most of us would think that way. And so yeah. this guy who, with his skateboard, attempts to do that. Just for me leaving this dedication, people are like, forget you, Ken. You're not like who I who I thought you were or yeah. you're becoming political. I'm like, how is like honoring a lost life political? Because I always try and backtrack and say at some point that was a
0: mother's baby. And that that okay. really upsets so me. So I don't forget mental footnote on the term eliminate the threat. We're yes. gonna come back to that. So okay. we can't. So crew, don't let me forget eliminate the threat. Okay. The second thing is, do you feel like people did that to you or wrote those comments because that lost life was not on their side? Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Yes. A thousand percent it's because
1: that lost life was not on their side and it's unfortunate that people are having to choose sides in that way because I did see in the comments also when they're like Kyle was there to take out the trash and it's sad that they're saying that they're saying the BLM trash the Antifa trash he should be hailed as a hero and I'm like wait let's pause for a second you have police you have um, National Guard probably federal agents, so many different groups out there, trained law enforcement groups that are out there, trained to do their job. When you have people like Tucker Carlson saying, this 17-year-old boy stepped in to do the job because no one else would, I actually took that as a jab on you all as law enforcement from him saying, They're not doing their job. So a 17-year-old kid, that's where we are as a nation, that we're appointing a 17-year-old kid to step up and do the job of of trained officers, right? So, So when I'm looking at it, and I'm like, here you have a kid who was trembling in his boots even being out there.
0: And obviously, and anyone who tries to dispute that. Because you saw the interview before the shooting, right? I saw the says, interview. Yeah. My name is Kyle, and he has med kit, and he's got his Air here's 15 what I'm, there. Here's my job. Right. I'm, I'm here yeah. to make
1: sure if, it, if, if anything goes down, I'm running into harm's way. Yeah, yeah but people who are trained to do that mm-hmm. are not running in there trigger happy I'm, I show up to those things to do the exact same thing and there's video footage of me being there being shoved by people having things thrown at me having people curse at me guess what I'm not armed and my words are what deescalate Thank the you. situation not waving an AR15 in someone's face how did that cannot de-escalate the situation and so when people are using the excuse that well someone threw a Molotov cocktail at him so so that's why for, I'm like I've been I've had things thrown at me as well and even still I got that situation to 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 tone down just by talking to the very people who threw something at me and so by not showing up with a weapon, I'm automatically not seen as someone that they need to confront because I'm just here in a T-shirt, man. And I've had to have that conversation. There was a guy who shoved me in Washington, D.C. And I'm like, look, man, I'm just trying to make sure that everyone makes it home safely tonight. That would have been a completely different conversation if that was Kyle's stance or Kyle's approach. But instead, when people are using the the. Um, it was self-defense, right? So my issue with that is if you were already afraid, you shouldn't be there. There's a saying in our in our community and you hear it in, in our music uh, uh, where they say, if you're scared, go to church, <laughs> right? Don't show up there at 11 p.m. Yeah. on the front lines of this
0: chaotic scene As a 17 year old boy, 17 years old, you just got your license less than a year ago.
1: And,
0: and, And aside from all that, it distracted from what really happened that triggered this whole thing. Totally.
1: Totally. Because now the country is actually talking more about the Kyle Rittenhouse situation than the Jacob Blake. And that's, that's so true.
0: What was uh, Jacob's family like? And did you talk to any cops from uh, Kenosha?
1: Um, I I only spoke to some of the National Guard um, officers that that were there. And um, I I feel like they all felt the sense of calm and that everything was going to be all right by that point, too. Um, I didn't have a chance to speak to the father, but I heard the message that he delivered. How much violence did he promote? None. Exactly. None. Not as the father. I didn't hear the sister talk that way. The mother didn't talk. The father actually asked at that protest. He said, please, please, can we make sure there is no violence tonight? Come on. Let's show everyone that we're better than that. So there was that. And then there was a part that he said that really touched my heart as a father because you know there's always that talk about in the black community that our fathers are absent and everything else now here's a a young man who was shot and his father was there and something that he said from the stage that day he said when I went to go and see my son in the hospital and I was holding my son's hand and he said my son said to me "Um, dad why did they shoot me so many times and he said my response to my son was son they weren't supposed to have shot you at all and and that really hurt just knowing that here's a father who is reminding his son, that who is now paralyzed, that this shouldn't have happened at all. And I think there's also that next step to that, which is with our parenting also comes like we always talk about the talk in the black community right the way that we raise up especially our black sons how to interact with with law Law enforcement, enforcement right you would assume that like which
0: is completely foreign to white people i'm telling you i've never had a talk with my two boys listen guys when you get pulled over by a black police officer there may be an opportunity where they kill you. Like, you, we got to know when you... I've never had that talk. Yeah. I'm like, hey, I don't care who pulls you over. Make sure you're respectful. Make sure you let them know if for some reason they need something, you explain. I mean, yeah. my talk and your talk to your kids is totally, totally different. different.
1: Yeah, my talk is, here's how you can survive and make Jeez, it home to me. That's, that, that blows my Just mind. Just to live another day, right? And so I'm sure that's going through that father's head in that moment was, son, where did you miss... All of the teachings yeah. about how we interact with but law police. enforcement to make sure that's that it right. doesn't escalate. Because if that would have happened, yeah, you know, we wouldn't this. see any of this, right? Because and, and that's the thing, and and I'm not I'm not yeah. one of those who, who is saying um, comply and don't die and all of that because I see that in the comments all yeah. the time. But I do think there are all of these steps that we all miss along yeah. the way. The individual the law enforcement officers, That's right. the protesters, everyone has a responsibility and we all miss those things. And then we watch total chaos ensue yep. and we start pointing fingers at who is at fault. And, and I think for me, as someone who just loves humanity, someone who just loves human life, I'm like, can we all just take a step back and use these as teaching moments for all of us? For me? to my children, to my community, to the students and the young people that I talk to, to you all as law enforcement to say, hey, let's look at this situation yeah. as a learning yeah. moment. How do we correct the yeah. wrong from it and how do we learn from this to make sure that next week there won't be another one? Right. Because there will be, sadly, right? Next week there's Should probably going to be another one. And and same with the protests, right? Because right after the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting, the next day in Portland. Los Angeles. Ne- no, in Portland, yeah. someone shot a... Um, a a, a Trump supporter, I
0: know, and in LA too, LA as well, yes, right, and so, so that's where we are as a country. But you can't protest every shooting for the rest of the uh, our eternity. No way, something's got to give. We have
1: to change. My gosh, we have to change.
0: And, and you know what? Listen, I got to be honest here. Not every white on black police shooting is a bad shooting, right? And not every black on white shooting is a bad shooting, or white on white, or black on black, right? You have to take them. That is the ultimate level of. Of, of deadly force. I mean, there's no other profession on the planet yeah. that has the ability to make a personal decision to take someone's life. Even in the military, yes. they have to get orders. There's rules of engagement. Totally. But in law enforcement, it's a standing order. And that's why I said mental footnote on eliminate the threat. You and I have to have different rules, so to speak. As yes. a civilian or as a police officer, you have a different threat level than I do. Absolutely. And I have the burden of justifying my actions based on the threat level because I have all these tools that can take people's freedom or take their life. Yes. You don't have that same responsibility. So when I say that the burden of what we're doing falls on police, I appreciate you accepting responsibility as a black man to teach black men and women how to interact with police. But on the flip side, I can't come into shift work with a chip on my shoulder or a preconceived racist mentality because I was taught that way, or maybe I had a bad interaction with somebody of color two weeks ago, and now I'm looking at you. Like, both of these have to change, like never before in history. So I'm gonna ask you, and I'm gonna give you my perspective. What message do we, and how do we give it to people interacting with police so it doesn't cause the officers to accelerate that threat level, absolutely. What 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 is that lesson? And yeah. then I'm going to teach and talked about what we need to do with police.
1: Yes. So I I think for me. Um what I, what I try and teach, not only to my children, but to people in, in the black community and students that I'm talking to. I always let people know, no matter what type of um, wrong that you felt you were experiencing during that traffic stop or during that interaction with the police, your most important thing is to make sure that you get to live another day to go and file that report with the police department, the sheriff, and everyone else. But by you escalating the situation or or going to reach for something, all of these things that can be triggers to now cause what society would see as a justified shooting, just live another day. And so, you know, I I hate to use the term like just comply. Sometimes that just means just be respectful. You know, Mm -hmm. like for me, when I'm, when I'm at it, I got pulled over, what, just a few weeks ago, and he asked for my driver's license and registration. And I was like, um, I kept my hands on the steering wheel and I said, my um, my registration is in my glove box, do you mind if I reach for it? I
0: would have done the same thing.
1: Totally, right? Yeah. So, so th- that is not a yep. difficult ask for people yep. in, in my community who know that we're already afraid, right? But so is that officer. Yes. And so we have to make sure that yep. we reduce the tension on both sides. I'm nervous because I've seen enough videos of people like me, like getting shot in this altercation, right? But I also have to remember the millions of stops that happen during that same year. Yeah. The end super positive, yeah. right? And so it ended with myself and that officer just joking around at the end of the uh, at the end of that traffic stop because simply I did everything that I can to reduce the tension for me so yeah. I'm not nervous, but also for him. And so It's not even necessarily comply and don't die. It's like, let's just be mindful of the interactions that we have with with one another. Let's be respectful, not even just when it comes to police, but just with the human beings that we interact with in general. And the more that we can start to learn that we're not going to continue to see these type of outcomes, you know, and and it's just it's really unfortunate that that's where we are as a nation where people are justifying murder because they're saying, well, you shouldn't be rude. He shouldn't have threw something in that direction. Shouldn't have disrespected me. Shouldn't have disrespected that person. Now you're dead. Wait, whoa. That is a life gone. It goes back to, was it worth it? Was it worth it? It, it, it never is, right? And so, so, and 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 one, I, I, I want to hear your response on that as well. And I know we're running short no, uh, for time on this episode. But the, the main question that I asked in that video um, that I had put out is, at what point does it become... Uh, use of force for seven shots versus one or two shots, like where or how is that determined, right? Because I wonder that with the Jacob Blake situation, could it have been? And and we've used the term eliminate the threat. Could one shot, two shots, have eliminated the threat if there was the concern that he was reaching for a weapon in the car? Or how does the training work in that situation to make it reach seven
0: shots? I think people get focused on the number of shots to describe the brutality of the incident. And I get that. Yeah. But I will tell you whether he got shot seven times in the back, three times in the back, or twice in the back, it doesn't change. So as far as law enforcement, we are taught when it comes to deadly force, it is to stop the threat. Eliminate. Yep. We we shoot multiple times because you have people that could be wearing body armor, people that could be on uh, psychotropic medications, uh, drugs, people that don't have a fatal wound from it. I mean, we shoot to eliminate and sometimes cause death. Yeah. The number of shots. If you have two or three officers, it is common that our training is to shoot two to three times, bam, 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 reassess, bam, 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 reassess. Wow. That's nine times if three cops are there. Yeah. Because they're seeing three different things at the same time, but you see cops shoot nine times. So I would want to make sure people don't get focused on the number of shots fired. Yes. Or the number of shots on target, because if you take away the controversial shootings, if this individual is truly there and has killed people and is about to kill other people, the average person would say, "Please stop that threat." Absolutely. And if it takes two shots or four shots, stop that threat. Yeah. So our training is that force continuum, and that's why the ultimate the ultimate training is deadly force. We shoot more than we do emergency driving. We shoot more than we do report writing because the shoot don't shoot scenario is what's going to put us on the front page. What we also teach now more than ever before, and which I'm a huge proponent of, and as my platform grows, so does my mission, and that is to do standardized training and expectations across the country of what de-escalation looks like and what fatal force at that time is supposed to be. Yeah. Because it's so subjective that it starts to create problems all over because my definition of fatal force and yours can be completely different based in the region of where we are.
1: Wow. Something that you said. They're in, giving in us your, the
0: fingers. They're giving us the <laughs> five there's
1: probably other parts we can edit out because it. now this is getting good, right? So, so <laughs> there's so something that you said in there that I've like never even heard anyone say it in in that way, is that the the number of shots is sometimes dependent on, like, if that person is on drugs, if they are wearing body armor. A lot of people don't think about That's it right. like that because we've all seen the videos when we were younger of what people who are on PCP are capable of right. doing when they're on PCP. And and I don't think we, we really think about that in that moment, that on PCP, a couple of shots, you can still reach in Hands your car down. and grab a gun and turn around and start shooting people. You know, and I, I think for me, when I first saw the video, again, I'm always thinking as a father, and I'm like three babies in the backseat, three little boys. Did it have to yeah. be that way? Right. But we always have to ask, well, what did the officers hear from dispatch that they were even responding to Mm. who was this, this person. Right. And, and I don't think there is enough of that backtracking that we do to wonder like how heightened is this situation? Even just upon arrival, I know like who are we facing? Right. And I, and I don't think we, we think about that enough. And again, I don't think either of us are, are justifying this in, in any sort of way, but For people to just pay attention to all of these different scenarios before passing judgment, because even I, who is very familiar with a lot of these things, I was not taking into account this person could have been on something. This person could have had on body armor, right? And and so... We don't, we don't often think about that. And it's, and people don't realize how easy it is to have on body armor, right? Like my yeah. backpack is bulletproof. There you go. I keep a bulletproof uh, uh, vest. There's one in my trunk right now in the Say? rental car that I had taken with me when I was out in um, in Kenosha because I didn't know how tense things may have gotten that night. And so sometimes we don't think about that. If I'm wearing a jacket or a overcoat, you don't even know that I have on a vest and so you could probably shoot me and I can still survive that and, and yeah. shoot back. And and I don't think people always take that into account. And, and so I think it is important that before we, we rush to judgment, whether it be on the Jacob Blake video that we saw or the Kyle Rittenhouse video that we saw, even though people are probably gonna say, well, you already passed judgment by saying he was 17. I stand by that. I stand by my stance on the fact that a 17-year-old kid shouldn't have been there period. And if I lose fans because of that, and if people say, you know, I I used to like you, but now your message is starting to get political. (laughs) Let me just say,
0: a 17 year old has no business being a cop. (laughs) Period. Period. Exactly. And so, so I, I stand
1: by that and, and I, I'm sure I'm going to lose fans because of it, but that's, that's fine. I know where I stand as, as a father and I know who I was at 17. I was a knucklehead
0: track athlete at 17 years old. I just want to give great credit to the community. It is so refreshing to hear that those from Kenosha, Wisconsin, that were serving and helping and trying to heal the nation before others came in and agitated, man, I I am proud of that community. Completely. So your message is to the young black, young white folks, is that is to um, respect, comply, uh, communicate, and and don't escalate it ourselves. Mine would be, for all my cops out there, it is not us against them. You cannot have. We are among the community, and at the same time, the burden of tactical decision-making falls on us. Absolutely. Otherwise, get out of this field. And that means that we have the burden of making good decisions, especially as things de-escalate, where it could cause you to engage physically before you have to kill somebody for something that when we sit down after it's done and ask, was it worth it? it The answer is No. Yeah. So in our training now as training evolves we have to overburden ourselves with the what I call the rules of engagement that we don't have to justify a shooting because it's iffy, justify a shooting because it was justified yes. and then you have nothing to worry about. Yeah, no so question. this perception business that's been out there, yeah. don't shoot somebody if you think they have a gun but they don't and it's a cell phone.